Today we want to talk about lessons on our calling from Paul's experience on the Damascus Road. And I'm going to begin by reading the scripture to you. It's from uh, Acts 9.1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to destroy the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was nearing Damascus on this mission, a brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down upon him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, sir? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men with Saul stood speechless with surprise, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw nobody. As Saul picked, him up off the, picked himself up off the ground, he found that he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and all of that time he went without food or water. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you arrive, ask for Saul of Tarsus. He is praying to me right now. What a cool confirmation that God hears us immediately and in real time while we're praying. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord exclaimed, Ananias, I've heard about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And we hear that he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest every believer in Damascus. But the Lord said, go and do what I say. The Lord sounds there a little bit like my mother. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for me. So Ananias went and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you may get your sight back and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food, and he was strengthened. So today I want to talk briefly about five lessons about our calling that we learn from Saul's experience on the Damascus Road. And the first lesson is that you very often don't know what God is preparing you for. See, Paul had trained, we know this from Acts, in Judaism under the very best teachers. He was exceptionally well trained. His study under Gamaliel confirmed his impressive credentials. It's a little bit like having earned today a PhD in religious studies or Bible and theology from Harvard. And he was exceptionally zealous about his faith. Paul was known for being really passionate about the things he believed. And he never dreamed, of course, he would take Jesus, Gospels to the Gen Jesus Gospel to the Gentiles. Paul was all about the Jewish people. He had studied Judaism. He had given his life to it. And in fact, as we know, he was on the way to persecute people, to arrest them, who were following in this new way. But God had prepared somebody who could write 
the book of Romans, for example. So what I want to tell you about all of this is you, you really don't know what God is preparing you for all the time. And this is a great lesson for our calling. So Paul is training, thinking he is going to be this great uh, Jewish uh, priest, this great Jewish scholar. And God is indeed preparing him in Judaism, but not for that. God is preparing him to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And God is preparing somebody who can write the rich depths of the book of Romans with all of the Jewish imagery and the Jewish analogies, but communicate that to Gentiles. So the same thing is going to be true for your life. We don't always know what God is preparing us for. We think maybe we're going in one direction. It could very well be that we're going in quite a different direction. Uh, and, and I've learned this lesson in my own life. Very often, God will uh, show me just enough of the road of, ahead to get me to sign up because I can believe that much. But he doesn't show me the full picture, probably because if he did, I'd go, ah, oh, that's, that's not possible, or I can't do that, or that's just, you know, it's too mind-blowing. So he shows me just enough. As I get going on the road, he begins to open the door even further. And, and it's one of the really cool ways that God leads. So that's lesson one. You often don't know what God is preparing you for. Lesson two, religious people don't hear God's calling quite like spiritual people do. And here I've always been interested in the juxtaposition between Paul and Ananias. So, you know, Paul is exceptionally well-trained. We, we just read he, he's, he is uh, very zealous uh, for Judaism. But yet, if you look at Acts 9.5, when Jesus calls out to him, he says, Who are you, Lord or Sir? Who are you? We're very interesting in Acts 9.10, Ananias, who we know very little about, when Jesus speaks to him, he says, oh, yes, Lord. So Paul didn't recognize God's voice when he called right away, but Ananias did. Now, in my life, I want to be one of the people who recognizes God as soon as he calls. I want to be an Ananias. I want to be somebody that when God calls, I say, yes, Lord. I recognize it right away. I don't really want to be a Paul saying, who are you? And the difference there is what I've termed the difference in being religious and spiritual. Religion is often involves people who are reaching out to God. They are doing a whole lot of good works to try to make themselves acceptable to God, to reach out to God, to earn God's favor. Where spiritual people, from a New Testament perspective, are people who are of the Holy Spirit. And you're not, you're not really doing things to earn God's favor. You're doing things out of gratitude because of what God has already done for us. So I'd ask you a number of questions. For example, why do you attend worship when we're allowed again? Well, why do you give your tithes and offerings? Why do you pray, read scriptures, or do devotions? Why do we seek to follow the scriptural injunction to remain sexually pure before and during marriage? Why do we consider the needs of others above our own? Why do we do these things? Is it to earn something? Is it a religious motive? Are we just playing the game? 
Or are we genuinely spiritual, doing things of the spirit out of gratitude? One puts you in a far better place to hear the voice of God clearly than others. Lesson number three, you've been called and chosen from birth. God says clearly that to Ananias, this man is my chosen instrument. In another place, Paul testifies in Galatians that God has set me apart from birth. You can read the same thing about Jeremiah. Before he formed me, he knew me. And the psalmist says the same thing. You created my inmost being in Psalm 139, 13. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What a powerful piece of scripture. Isaiah 43 picks up the same thing. This now is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, and formed you, Israel, don't fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Further on in Isaiah, God says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but God says, I will not forget you, for I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. I think many Christians miss how incredibly important we are to God. He loves us with an everlasting love. He loves us with unconditional love. Our faces are ever before him. As someone has said, we are truly the apple of God's eye. And we often go through life seeking this approval from God and looking for this approval from God. When in reality, God has known us since before we were created in our mother's womb and has placed a calling on our life. We have to determine this calling, but we don't have to wonder if we have a calling. We have to discern what it is he's asking us to do, but we never have to wonder if his unconditional love and grace will be our portion as we do. Number four, God very often uses others to confirm our calling. In Acts 9, later in 17 to 19, we read that Ananias lays hands on Paul to receive the Spirit. Now, I want you to note there that Ananias didn't call Paul. Jesus called Paul. But Ananias confirmed it. And my sense is that we are far too individualistic in the church these days. Almost everything commanded in Scripture pertains to the community. Salvation is community. It's individual, but it's also very much a community work. Our healing, deliverance, baptism, all of these types of things involve others. But since the time of the Enlightenment, we've seen a real focus on individualism, especially in the West. And it's really not served us well as believers. And that's part of what I like about this passages that God calls Paul very clearly, but insists that he go to Ananias and that Ananias lay hands on him. So God uses others to confirm our calling. I loved a tweet 
I read last month uh, from David Prince. He said, if we translated all of the second person plurals as y'all in southern U.S. parlance in the New Testament, our ecclesiology would dramatically improve. In other words, the challenge with English is that you singular and you plural are written the same way. If we had y'all, or as they say in parts of Newfoundland, use, then we would see that so very many of what we read as you in the New Testament is actually plural. It's written to the multiple, to the congregation, and it's so very not individualistic. And finally, the fifth point, God often chooses those that the church has rejected. And this is probably my favorite point from this passage. Ananias is hearing two very different reports about Paul. We go back to verse 11. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you arrive, ask for Saul. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, and this is where Ananias does what we do so very often. He's going to help the Lord understand. He's going to fill in some details for God that God probably missed. Lord, he says, I've heard terrible things about what this man has done to believers. And we hear that he's authorized by the leading priests to arrest every believer in Damascus. God seems not too all that impressed with Ananias, you know, filling in the details for him. The Lord says, go and do what I say. Enough of that. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. Now Ananias has heard clearly two reports about Paul. He has to choose whether or not he wants to believe the human report or the divine report. And it's not that the human report was wrong. It's just that the human report was incomplete because the human report doesn't have a full grasp of God's plan for the individual. It can only report on what it currently sees and has seen. So Ananias has to choose. He's called by God to go and lay hands on somebody who has murdered fellow believers. And as you can imagine, that's not easy. It's a real act of faith. If you ever want an example of a powerful act of faith in the New Testament, it's Ananias going up and saying, Brother Saul. Like that you have to do by faith because just a day earlier, Brother Saul was headed to imprison people like Ananias. But Ananias goes up to him and lays hands on him, calls him brother so that he can receive the Holy Spirit. That's a powerful example for us. So let me summarize a little bit for you. You may not understand what's happening to you in the middle of all of this, but it's possible that God is preparing you for something. Very often we feel called to take an initial step. We feel called to train, for example, since I'm talking to the Tyndale community. And all too often God asks us to take that initial step of training the initial step on the journey. Uh, we, we feel called to head down a certain road, but we can't see where the road is leading or we can't see the end result. Well, that's perfectly normal from my experience in terms of how God operates. Just like Paul started off, 
dedicating his life to, in a certain direction, he didn't really understand where God was where God was ultimately leading him. He thought he was going to be a great Jewish scholar, but God needed somebody who could write uh, a, a book as deep, profound as Romans. And so I take great comfort in that. They met, that may be exactly our situation today, that we feel called to prepare and we've begun the journey of preparation, but can't imagine where it's leading. Or we think it's leading in one direction, and it may well be that as your journey goes on, God begins to reveal to you uh, a, a different direction, a different focus. And so that's perfectly normal. I hope that maybe gives you encouragement uh, today. The second question, uh, the second point I made, second question I'd ask is, are you religious or spiritual? And we talked earlier about, you know, spiritual people hear God's voice in a much different way than religious people. And I ask a number of questions and it's worth reflecting. Are you religious or are you spiritual? Are you doing things to earn God's favor? Are you doing things to earn his love? Are you doing things maybe to earn some kind of better calling? Or with the help of the Holy Spirit in you, are you living the best Christian life you know how because you are spiritual and you're doing these things in gratitude towards God? Another tidbit here I'd like to leave with you because uh, I believe there's probably somebody listening and you're struggling in your current context because it, it seems too small for you. Your dream or your vision, what you believe is your destiny, is much larger than where you are. But of course, Jesus says that you will be entrusted with much once you've been faithful in little. And what I'd like to encourage you is that even if your current context doesn't match your ultimate dream or what you believe is your calling. I'd really encourage you to be faithful where you are and serve, serve, serve. If we think of David, the lessons he learned that helped him take down Goliath were learned by taking care of sheep by himself out in the field. And I don't care if you're in youth ministry and you have eight precious teenagers but in your heart you envision 800 and a much larger stage. Serve those eight with everything you have and do what you do is unto the Lord. For if you're faithful and little, God will one day grant those much larger dreams you have. Always be faithful in the little. Don't despise it. Don't use smaller locales as a stepping stone. Always be faithful and little and then trust God to give the increase. Maybe somebody needs to remember that it was the omniscient God of the universe that has chosen you before you were born. Paul testified to it, Jeremiah testified to it, the psalmist testified to it, that even when you were being knit in your mother's womb, God already knew your name and had a calling on your life. The fourth lesson we learned is that we must allow God to speak to us through others in the body of Christ. And here I want to talk just for a moment about two possible extremes. I come from the Pentecostal charismatic wing of the church, and there, unfortunately, sometimes folks will go and change their whole life's direction based on a word 
from somebody else. And I would caution against that, of course. I view words from other people as signposts or hooks upon which to hang your hat for the future. But certainly anything God is going to speak to you through others, he will also confirm to your own heart. When God has spoken to me most clearly, he has probably used three other people to mention it, but he also confirmed it in my own heart and spirit. So we, you know, we don't run out and change our life based on a word of the Lord from somebody else. But conversely, there are people in the church who are so individualistic, God may be trying to get a hold of you right now through others that he's placed in your life but you're resisting because it's just you and Jesus, you know, you two no more. And that's not really the best way to live either. So we need to strike the balance. We need to be open to what God is saying to us through others, but also not fall into the trap of, of running our life by the words others speak to us. And finally, and what I feel is probably the coolest point out of this passage is if you were to stop right now, close your eyes, and think of somebody that you kind of assume is a write-off spiritually, the most God-hating, belligerent person you can think of, and we can all picture a person like that. Well, that was kind of like Saul for Ananias. I mean, Saul, after all, he just wasn't belligerent. He was trying to round up and kill believers. But that's the very person God called to take the gospel to the Gentiles and to write so many books of the New Testament. So no matter who you think of right now, that could be Saul in your life. It could be the person that God has really called to do great works. But conversely, there are some of you listening right now, and you see yourself like Saul in the sense that you're so aware of your own past and things that have happened to you and things that you have done, you assume God could never call you. And in a couple of decades now of youth and young adult work, I've come to realize that there are a great many people who actually truncate or, or miss even the call of God on their lives, not because God is not calling and not because he's not willing to empower, but because they themselves get in their own way. They don't believe God could call them to such a thing. They don't believe that God could take where they are and make it into something wonderful. So they, they get in the way of their own calling because they don't believe they're worthy. And, and I want to reassure you today that God still calls the weak and he still calls the foolish to confound the wise and the strong. And whether right now you're listening to me and you've, you're picturing somebody that you assume has been a write-off or that's always been how you've seen yourself, Saul stands as our example of the fact that God can pull anyone out of anywhere and launch them into ministry. So I trust that's, that's a word for somebody today. So those were five lessons that we can learn about our own calling from the Damascus Road experience of Saul. And I hope today this has been a blessing and encouragement to somebody who's listening, no matter where you find yourself. God bless you today.